we have this idea, a rock star, um, it's a little slogan that we live by. It's, it, it, and it goes like, as it said, it's your life, your terms. And so our purpose is to help people live life on their own terms. Thanks for tuning in to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where purpose drives our actions and our actions are a result of our purpose. When you have a strong enough purpose, every action you take in life has meaning and power to it. Every entrepreneur is on a journey to fulfill their purpose, and the world needs to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. All right, welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast. Today we have Tom Caradza. Did I pronounce it right? You said it great. Okay. Nice job. I heard you guys a lot on our oh, podcast, did you? Okay. so it's, it's engraved in me now. This guy has built a real estate brand that has accumulated over a billion dollars in real estate transactions. I'm correct with that. You right? are, yeah. Okay. And he focuses on, I, I want to let him talk, but he really focuses on creating opportunities for people to live their own life on their terms. And he really uses real estate as a tool to do that. Thanks for coming on the show today, Tom. Happy to be here. You're an inspiration to me. Just talking to you a little bit here, you got me fired up. So really? thank you for doing this. Yeah. No problem. No problem at all, man. So let's start. I always like to start with the beginnings of all my guests. Where were you born? Born in Toronto, just off Weston Road. So kind of Weston and the 401, that area of Toronto. Okay. And uh, yeah, moved to Mississauga when I was about four or five and then raised in Mississauga, went to high school in Mississauga, kind of Mississauga is part of my, it's part of my DNA right now. And I think you were born, were you born in Brampton? I was born, born no, in I was born in um, North York, but North. most of my life I was raised in Brampton. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So yeah, Brampton and Mississauga feel like they're kind of like two brothers, sisters, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Mississauga kind of okay. is where I was raised. Okay. And when you were a kid, what did you want to be? Like, what was your first, like, I want to be this when I was a kid? Yeah, I was um, absolutely clueless. I got really good marks in school. So uh, I should I should be clear that it was myself and my brother, Nick, who started this business together. Yes, and I wouldn't sure. have been able to do it without him. And we're a little bit different in that uh, in school, I was always really good in school. I got really good marks. Um, and I would call myself pretty much a geek. Okay. <laughs> Nick, my brother was the opposite. He played football and he was more kind of athletic than me and his marks weren't the same as me. So maybe we were a little bit of a balance to each other. Um, but in school, I just listened to what the teachers told me and I was really good at memorizing things and really good at math. So it really came easy to me and I got like top marks right through grade school and then right into even high school. And I never really thought about what to be. I honestly, I just, thought I should just get good marks. I gave it no thought. Like, is that brutal to admit or what? No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's wow. It's, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, I had no plan. And, and you know what? I think my father's an immigrant to Canada and so is my mother. My father's from a small country called Croatia and my mother's from uh, uh, Scotland, both immigrants to this country. And my father has a grade eight education. And because I'm the oldest son, I remember him saying when I was younger that, hey, look, you're the oldest son. I have a grade school education. Nobody in our extended family of his brothers and sisters really has any other education beyond grade eight. I really want you to go to high school and to university. So I had this goal that wasn't career oriented. I just had this goal to go to university, mm -hmm. you know, and I think my father wanted me to become probably like a lawyer so that he could kind of brag to all his friends that my son's a lawyer or something like that. Um, but in my mind, I just had this goal, like go to university and I got good marks and I went, I should clarify halfway through high school, my marks did suffer because I got a car and I started to like 
just have more fun. And my mark started to like, I, I wasn't in the nineties anymore. I dropped down and, uh, but I got into university really easily and, um, I got accepted into engineering, but I didn't want to do it. And I kind of lost my way in university because my goal was university. Mm-hmm. Like I just had this goal. I had no further goal. Yeah. So I, when I hit the goal of getting into university, I lost my way. I didn't know what else to do. Like I didn't have a goal. I didn't want to become a lawyer. I didn't want to do anything specific. I just had this goal to get to university. And then I, I was lost for a few years and I really suffered. Like I, I failed a class in university. Like I have a, I have an F on my transcript mm-hmm. at university. Uh, I, I kind of dropped out of the course. I was majoring in chemistry. I dropped out of that. I ended up taking psychology and sociology because it was just easier. And, uh, I met my wife in psych classes. Um, so I just lost my way. I partied, uh, started drinking, uh, not that I was an alcoholic or anything, yeah. but started drinking, going out to the bars and I just had a good time and, uh, was floundering around really, really kind of clueless for, for a bunch of years. Okay. I don't know if that's what you were expecting to hear or not. No, it's, it's, it's a story that, that resonates with me and a lot of people, you know, I mean, a lot of, I, I, coming from a West African background too, parents try to, um, and they, they don't do it maliciously, but they try to live themselves within their children in terms of what they might have not been able to accomplish, um, which makes sense. But at the same time, it's, it can be detrimental to the to the kid, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 And I should have had a further goal. Now I realize that you always need a like a stretch goal. You can never just have one goal because if you hit that goal, um, you get – there's nothing further to try to accomplish. So now just in life, I always try to have – other goals. Like if I'm trying to go to hit one goal, I want to have another goal that's even beyond that goal. So that if by chance I actually accomplish my main goal, I can look forward to something else and not feel kind of lost. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's happened to me a number of times in life where I kind of hit a goal and then I just feel lost for a little while. Like, Oh, I don't know what to do next. I don't know. I don't have a plan. And, uh, you know, it's kind of happening to us right now with, uh, Rockstar Kobe. We, we grew Rockstar from zero everything. We've now helped investors buy a billion dollars in properties for the, about two years ago, Rockstar's gross revenues hit eight figures. So we had a, we had a goal to hit like a seven figure business, right? To generate like a million dollars in revenue. We hit that. And then we went two years ago, we managed to hit 10 million in gross revenues as a business, right? Wow. And we never thought we'd get there. And Nick and I now are in the process of like, trying to map out what to do next, you know, because we didn't have, we never thought we'd get to this point. (laughs) I don't know if that sounds bad or not. We just kept doing things and we got to this point and now we need to figure out like what's the next stage for us. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But we learned a lot, man. We learned a lot over the last 10 years building this business. We've been through a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of pain, a lot of hard work, a lot of early mornings, a lot of late nights, a lot of times when we thought we weren't going to make it. You know, so, uh, I'm jumping ahead now, but, uh, but yeah, having goals is really important to us. I get, I get slightly depressed and a little bit lost when I don't have them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think as human beings, it's always important to have something to, to push for, right? Absolutely. Um, so I guess after you were sort of in that lost spot, you did eventually sort of figure out some sort of path to go along. What was your first job? I guess you could say after post-secondary school. Yeah. So I got a, okay. So at the end of university, I realized I opened up the career section because the internet wasn't that big still yet, but I opened up the newspaper and I started looking for all the jobs. And I realized that all the things that I had in my university degree, I had no skills. 
to actually get a job. Like nobody was advertising for like a psychology major. Yeah. You know, everybody was advertising in the late, it was the late 1990s. Everybody was advertising for computer skills like Java and C++ and the, the Y2K. You're too young to know yeah. this thing, but like everybody was getting computer systems ready for the year 2000. And uh, I had no computer skills. I freaked out. So I went from a period of being lost to realizing uh, like I kind of like shit hit the fan for me where I was like, oh my God, I've just wasted four years of my life in university, spent a lot of money and I have nothing. I'm not even going to get a job to support myself. And I panicked. Like I straight up, I went from partying to like, holy shit, if I don't get my life together right now, I'm done. Like I don't, I can't even pay for gas for my car. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, uh, I found some school downtown Toronto that said in nine months, they'll teach you computer skills like database technology and programming, but you have to be a university graduate and you have to have $13,500. And, uh, I remember I didn't have that much money, but I called my mom and I said, can I borrow some money? Like I had a bit of that and I, and she lent me the rest of it. And I just gave that school that money because I realized that those skills were what the job market wanted. Right. So I said, I'm coming to your school. I was the first person in Toronto to sign up for that school really? right on Bay street. Yeah. Right downtown. Okay. And, uh, in nine months after that, um, Royal bank hired me, um, because they all needed computer skills jobs. Right. So I had a university degree in these computer skills. They hired me. I hated it. I got there and, uh, they were putting me in front of a mainframe computer and telling me how to like program a mainframe computer. But this is at a time when the internet was like exploding. Mm. So I'm like, I don't want to program mainframe computers. Like it was a green, it was a little green screen terminal. Have you ever seen these things like in the movies? These yeah. little, and I'm sitting in front of this keyboard and I'm trying to program this thing. It was brutal. So I started having nightmares at home thinking my life's over again. I'm like wasted 13,500 in the school, got some. Shitty job. I don't even know how I'm allowed to swear on, on your podcast. You're fine. It's fine. Uh, uh, <laughs> some, some crappy job and, uh, started having a heart attack again. And then I started putting my resume out there. And luckily a company called Oracle Corporation in Mississauga gave me a call and said, we will uh, hire you for your, for tech support, which was a step down. You know, if you're working in the computer, uh, division of a company to go to tech support is like a step down, right? If you're a programmer or a designer or something like that, but I saw the potential. I thought, oh my gosh, if I go to Oracle and to tech support, I'm really going to know this database technology and I can see the trend where everybody's getting these databases. Big companies are investing in databases. So I'll take your tech support job. And all my friends said, no, you don't want to go into tech support. That's like taking a step back. You're not a tech support guy. And I'm like, no, the big picture is I'll learn this stuff so well that maybe I'll leave Oracle and I'll be like a database expert or something. So I took the tech support job and I worked hard in tech support for two years. And after that, I saw that the sales guys were making a ton of money. So then I, I uh, took my skills and I said, Hey, you know, I know this database stuff. Do you guys need any sales help? And they said, yeah, we need people to go around with the sales staff to explain the technology because the sales guys aren't techie. Mm. And so then I got this job where I just went with the sales guys to explain the technology and my income just went through the roof. Cause you're, you, I got paid like bonuses and stuff when they closed some sales stuff and some sales deals and my income started going up. And then a few years after that, I went into straight sales. I'm like, forget it. I'll just do the sales myself. I know the technology and I think I can speak to people. I'll just go into straight sales. And, uh, I was reading some books at that time that really got my confidence up. Um, Dale Carnegie has this book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you yeah. ever heard of that book? Yeah. yeah okay. Like sure. to change my life, that book. Like mm-hmm. I read that book. Um, and I got this confidence that I could go into sales and I went into sales and 
really gave that changed my whole life because my income took another step up and it gave me confidence that I could go out and do things on my own. And then after a few years of doing that, so I went into, that's my late twenties. After a few years of doing that, I realized I'm not going to stay in the corporate world. I have to go into entrepreneur. Like I have to be an entrepreneur that I can't, I can't stay boxed in. Like I got to do my own thing. Um, but that sales, getting that sales job at Oracle completely, completely changed my life and my income level. Sales, Sales is one of those things where it applies to every day of our lives, but like a lot of people try and attach it as this like separate entity, but it's, it's part of who we are. Even if you're working for somebody, you're still selling yourself, right? It's totally, I didn't understand that. And I think my parents meant well, but we were raised in a family that kind of trained us to, the, to be skeptical of salespeople and that salespeople were liars. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I love my mom and my dad, so I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I, I don't regret being raised that way, but I just, that was kind of like the untold story in our family about salespeople. Always be weary of them. Be careful around salespeople. They're going to try and take your money. And I didn't realize you could be selling in integrity and helping people. And that just to your point, like you're saying, we're all selling ourselves all the time. Like it's the greatest skill in the world in my, in, in my books. So, uh, yeah. Change, change my life. And then after Oracle, uh, that's when I decided I, I quickly went to another company called NetSuite. It was a spinoff of Oracle that was going public and a bunch of us went over there. And, uh, then I quit and started Rockstar Real Estate with Nick. That was, uh, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to stay in the corporate world. I knew I had to go and do my own thing. So that was my early, and now we're like 30, uh, 31, 32 years old kind of thing. Okay. And what would you say was your first real estate experience in general where you were like introduced to it yeah i think you know i'm trying to remember i think i read rich dad poor dad robert kiyosaki have you read rich dad poor dad okay so i think that was like i read this book i think in my early 20s and uh late 20 i can't even remember exactly mid 20s i read this book and this guy's mapping out like you know you need assets like you have to own assets and working in a job is like basically pointless and i was just eating it up i'm like yeah like you, you preach it you know like i'm like yeah i was like cheering reading the book you know and uh, uh i remember then thinking i got to get into some of this real estate stuff and our family our father was flipping real estate when we were younger so we'd already been exposed to it but then reading that i think it was that book and it, maybe a bunch of others just got me sold on the idea that even if I'm working in this corporate job, I need to get some assets. Like I need to own stuff like all, all rich people own stuff. And uh, so I thought I need to own some stuff. And uh, yeah, I went out and got a rental property. What was the first one would be like a student rental property. I think Nick got his first flipped his first property at 21 years old. I'm five years older than him. So I was 26. And then after he flipped that property, he got a student rental property and then he, some other guy next to that house was like, Hey, you know, I'm selling my student rental property. You guys want it? And I called, Nick called me and I'm like, dude, I'm all in. Like, let's get this thing. And we got this student rental property. Worst property, man. Kobe, like it was, we shouldn't have bought it. It was run down inside. It was brutal. The, the bathroom that I'll never forget this. The bathroom had a bathtub and uh, they had a, um, the shower head was hanging with like a clothes hanger off the ceiling, like the ceiling wow. tile. And then um, there was an, because it was so hot in the bathroom, I guess the humidity wasn't getting out. This guy had like a, like a portable dehumidifier plugged into an electrical plug right next to the bath, like where the yeah. shower was coming. And there was this electrical cord coming out of the wall, running around the bathtub to this dehumidifier. So people were showering with all this electrical stuff around them. And, uh, it had this shaggy, like carpet that was like, it felt like it was a million years old. Like it was just a brutal, 
property. And Nick and I learned, that's when we learned looking back on that property. We're like, wow, we really shouldn't have just analyzed the real estate based on the numbers. You know, you read some real estate books and they tell you, just look at the numbers, right? Like if it's making this much income and the expenses are less than the income, you got a winner. But we realized that if the property's all run down, it doesn't matter if the rent is higher than the expenses because you're going to have to invest a lot of money to fix the property. So uh, shortly after buying that property, we had to spend like ten or $15,000, which again, we had to like scrape together from nowhere to fix up the property just to make sure the bathroom wasn't like illegal and do some basic stuff on that. And I remember when the uh, I went to cut the grass for the first time, I stuffed the lawnmower in my Honda Civic and it wouldn't fit. So I like collapsed the lawnmower and I jammed it in my trunk and I drove down to the student rental property and I was cutting the grass and the students were looking out of the windows at me because I was the new owner, right? And they were looking at me and I was so scared. Like if they looked out the window at me, I just kind of looked away and cut the grass, pretended not to see them because I was petrified they were going to come out and like talk to me. <laughs> I was just, yeah. I was scared of the whole thing. I was 26 and like just clueless. You know, when you're just clueless about something mm-hmm. and uh, that's how I felt. Like we didn't know what the heck we were doing. Um, so I, I even lost track of the question you're asking. Yeah, I don't know if that's... The main thing is like, it's just interesting how you guys, I guess you weren't really afraid to take risks. Yeah. I, you, you know what I mean? You, you just, you just said, we'll figure it out. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know where we get that. We've always believed that uh, you learn more from doing things than actually trying to study because you can, you can read a million books on any topic, but you know, until you go and actually do it, you know, it's like you with your business. I'm sure you read some business books, but until you go and try to get some inventory and create a website and try to make your website talk to the merchant provider so you can process, like until you go and do that stuff, you're really not actually getting useful knowledge. Yeah. Books is really, it, it is a good step in the right direction, but we've just realized you can only ever get like 80% comfortable. That last 20%, you got to just jump out and and leave and we have learned over the years that if you surround yourself by the right people they'll catch you if you fall mm. you know we didn't know that at the beginning because we didn't have anybody around us but now we know like someone like yourself if you go and do something if you have the right people around you you're going to be good because the problems that you hit you'll get good advice on how to navigate through those problems so to us now in business or real estate investing or anything it's all about do we have the right people in our life? Are we hanging around the right people? Mm-hmm. Basically, are we hanging around people that are trying to do good things and that will, will we all support each other? And if you are, you don't need to know everything. Just take a leap and they'll catch you. They'll help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always kind of believed that, you know? So yeah, we've always been a bit of risk takers, I guess. Okay. You're, um, you said, so your dad was, was flipping houses. How was he, like, how did he get into real estate? Yeah, he, so our father, um, he ran a drywall company. He was working in Toronto, putting up drywall in houses and he was oh, working. He's Croatian. Yeah, so he's that. Croatian. Yeah, he's like a drywaller. Croatians are just like our drywaller people. My and, dad does drywall too, actually. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard work, man. Yes, it is. It's hard work. But it's a good skill to have. It's a good skill, yeah. totally. So yeah, he was doing it and then he decided that he would, uh, start his own business with a friend of his. So they started their own drywall company. And, uh, while they were doing the drywall in Mississauga in one subdivision, uh, near square one on the north side of the 403, they started realizing that, uh, the new subdivision homes were reselling once they were built for more than you could buy them from the builder. So they thought, Hey, we're here doing the drywall anyway. 
why don't we just buy some of these houses and when they're finished, we'll sell them because it looks like when they're sold, when they're completed, you can sell them for more than you're buying them for. Like it wasn't even very complicated. So they just started buying some properties like that and then selling them. So they were just flipping new construction properties. Mm. Um, but then they got into a real, so that was my, how my father got into it and he was doing really well. But then 1990 in Toronto hit and in 1990, there was a big real estate correction here and we almost went bankrupt as a family because our father was flipping three properties, but he got stuck with one at Mississauga Road and Eglinton in Mississauga and it went down, um, $300,000 from the point he bought it in four months. So it went oh, from wow. 750 to 450. Yeah. And we almost went bankrupt and we had to try to rent it out to survive. And, uh, that just taught us a lesson that if you're flipping pro, like you can make a lot of money flipping properties, but if you get caught in a market change, you can also potentially lose a lot and maybe even lose everything as we almost did as a family. Um, so that's kind of how we were exposed to it. You know, I kind of saw that growing up. And that was really tough times for our family, um, trying to rent out that property. We were losing money, even though, uh, even though we had renters in there, we were losing money as a family every month. And that was, that was really, really tough. And it scared us off real estate, um, for a few years. My dad stopped doing anything with real estate, just focused on his drywall company. Um, but then whatever, for whatever reason, you know, Nick and I decided to get back into it on our own. So, uh. But, but that's how we were exposed to it, just watching our father go through it. Okay. And then maybe that's what gave us confidence that, that we could take some risks because I think we saw him fail pretty hard. But he didn't – like he survived. He still survived, yeah. Yeah, you know, like it was like we still ate. Like yeah, we still yeah. – everything still worked out, you know. It wasn't like it wasn't like we lost our house or anything. So I think even though things were really bad and we lost a lot of money, we still survived. So I think maybe seeing that, we just thought, what's the worst that can really happen here? Maybe that's naive. Mm-hmm. Kobe to think that way, but I think maybe that's what we thought. Like, yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. So who got you the real estate license first? Was it you or, or, um, Nick? Nick. Yeah. My brother got it first. I think, uh, yeah, he got it, I think a month or two before me. So he got his real estate license first. And the reason we got our real estate license is because the very first, that student rental property we bought, I'll never forget. We bought it from this, uh, this guy in the, the realtor, shook our hand or our realtor we were dealing with. Um, I can't remember the exact situation. Shook our hand and he said, good luck, boys. Like real estate never goes down. And he kind of patted us on the back and like shoved us on our way. And I just thought, man, that's all the, that's all the advice you get from these guys. So I think we got our real estate license thinking, I think we can just do this stuff ourselves. So we just got our real estate license with not a big plan to create rockstar real estate as a business. It was really just to bypass realtors and get, you know, get the information from MLS and the real estate boards ourselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting our real estate licenses was really just a selfish move <laughs> so that we could buy. I think we thought if we buy a property, maybe we can earn the commission ourselves and it kind of helps us out, mm-hmm. you know? So it's another uh, stream of income. Yeah, too. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, with, I mean, you guys got to a point where you're owning multiple properties. Mm-hmm. But when did you realize, hey, okay, we got to build a team around what we're doing? Okay, so it was, I think it was accidental when we just, um, when we would get calls like one on one property that we owned, um, this property was in Hamilton, up on the Hamilton Mountain. I don't know if that means anything to you or whatever, but okay, so up on the Hamilton Mountain in Hamilton, one tenant called us and he said, hey, look, you guys are screwed. Um, the siding on your house is all asbestos 
and I've called Environment Canada on you guys. They're going to tent the whole house and you're going to have to replace all this siding and it's going to cost you at least $100,000 to do all this work properly because it's asbestos. And, uh, you, you, you know, you're, you basically, you guys have to do this. Or he said, I'll buy the property from you. Uh, and he, and I forget what price he said, but he, he said some really low ball price. And, uh, he goes, yeah, but you guys are basically like, you guys got to take care of this. You're screwed. This is a big issue. And I remember hanging up the phone thinking, oh my God, we're screwed. Like we're, I didn't know what to do. We're screwed. Um, and then I called Nick. I, I said, Nick, we're finished, man. <laughs> I just got the worst call ever. I, our house sucks and we have, we have no money to replace it all. We're, we're finished, man. We're finished. <laughs> you know, when you have those panic calls, you're like, we're finished. And, uh, we spent the next few days. Um, gathering information. We've always believed that in any problem, the, there, th- things are only a problem if you don't have an information advantage over it. And we discussed it and we're like, you know what? We don't know the whole situation here. We're at an information disadvantage right now. This guy has, it seems like a lot of information. So he wants to buy it. Yeah. We have no information. So I go, let's go figure this thing out. So then we went on the attack and we called home inspectors. We called some asbestos companies that remove asbestos. We asked them if they could go out and scope out our property. We called a lawyer to see, Hey, like, what are our, you know, what are our, our, um, what are our responsibilities in this situation? And only after like two days worth of work after this whole like terrible call, through all these contacts that we had called, we realized it is best as siding is pretty normal for older houses. And you really, it's only an issue if you want to do work on the siding. You have to hire the right people to remove it properly. But as it sits on the house, it's as if it's no issue. It's not a health hazard. It's not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. And that we also learned that this guy had not called Environment Canada. He just made this story up because he wanted to buy the house. He thought we were young, didn't know what we were doing. Okay. And he wanted to buy the house on the cheap. So he just threatened us and it kind of almost worked. Like we were discussing, did we just sell this house to this guy? Um, but through the lawyer, a home inspector and these asbestos companies that like properly remove asbestos, we realized there's no issue with the house at all. So we called the guy back and we're like, Hey dude, there's, you know, we have all this information now. There's actually no issue. We can tell you this legally, this environment Canada uh, doesn't have any issue with this type of siding. And now we had the information advantage over him. And then he just confessed out of frustration. He's like, well, I was going to put a hole in the side of the house to uh, uh, put a new window in the bathroom. And one of the contractors said it's asbestos siding and it's a problem, you know, and that's, I guess, where he turned this into a bigger problem to see if he could buy the house from us. But so we said, yeah, if you want to cut a hole and we'll hire the right contractor to do it because it is asbestos siding and you have to do it properly. But this house is fine. There's no issue with it at all. And a couple months later, he moved out. That was it. He was gone. I guess he was trying to get the house from us, figured he couldn't get it and he left. But that moment taught us you need a team, mm-hmm. that you need good people around you, that even if you're, they're not like on your payroll, like you're not paying people, you need to have good relationships with lawyers. And that's why I tell everybody I work with, I'm like, never go cheap on professionals. Like never call lawyers and try to discount their price for their services by 50 bucks. You want to have good relationships with certain people. So when you meet a good lawyer, pay their fee in full, give them an extra hundred bucks. Teach them that you're a good client because when you have a problem, the lawyer is going to return your call before anyone else's. So I'm trying to develop relationships with people at all times because I know if I'm a good client to people, they're going to consider me a good client. And when I'm in a jam, they're going to return my call first. Mm -hmm. And I consider them part of my external team. So now with lawyers, accountants, 
home inspectors, other realtors. I'm always looking to try to offer value and be a good client to them because I know that's how I'm going to build my team so that if I ever get in a jam, all these people are going to call me back really quickly because I've invested in that my relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I see a lot of people do is they always try to go cheap with people, try to like discount people's fees, screw them. They're not loyal to them. Whereas I'm like loyal to all the people that I've worked with. Right. Yeah. So, and it was just coming from that experience with that property. We realized, wow, when you have a team of people around you that can give you information, you'll always have an information advantage and you'll never be stressed out. You'll never feel that you're going to lose everything. You know, you'll never be panicked and make a wrong decision. So, you know, it was basically the value of putting a team together came from base, you know, basically a horrible or what I thought of now, looking back, I laugh, but at the time I really thought, like I hung up the phone after that phone call and I think I almost like, I don't know if I can say this. I'm just going to say it, but like, I think I almost pissed my pants. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was that scared, you know, mm-hmm. like where I hung up the phone thinking, ah, our life's over. You know, I don't have a hundred thousand to fix this house. I called Nick. I think I told Nick, I go, Nick, we're screwed. <laughs> so yeah, just from that horrible experience, I just realized, man, after getting through that, I'm like, wow, if you know the right people, life's really not that hard, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know if I'm answering what you were. No, you definitely are. You definitely are. Um, I went to one of your seminars and it's just interesting how like a lot of there, you'll see a lot of brokerages who may even have like investment opportunities for their clients and stuff, but you guys have actually created a solid system that, that works. And it's very simple where everybody benefits um, to the point where you're comfortable to tell people how you guys benefit from it. How did you guys create um, a system, um, to sort of like a system so that you can actually leverage, you know, what I mean, your actual system and step away and be like, Hey, rockstar real estate is still running perfectly fine. Like, how did you guys create that system? Yeah, I, uh, that's a good question. I almost think it's some of it's accidental, but, um, I think when I was looking to quit my job, I realized the important thing in, um, because that system you're talking about is part of Rockstar Real Estate and how we get investors to buy properties. Yes. Um, I realized before I quit my job, I said, look, I have a mortgage on my house. I, my, my wife's not working. She's taking care. I have a, of our two kids. I have a, I, at that time I had a four year old son and a 10 month old daughter. And I thought, I can't walk away from this job with, with no plan. So to me, the idea of the business that I was going to get into wasn't enough. You know, for years I had talked about different ideas. I'm sure you, you're the same with your friends. Yeah. You're like, I got this business idea and this is going to be worth millions or whatever. But I realized that the business idea or the product idea itself isn't where the money's made. The money is made in business from having a system to generate new customers, to satisfy those customers' needs, to follow up with those customers. That system is where the value is. I think I had read Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, and he, he, he described how McDonald's um, is able to be like a multi-billion dollar company, and they have teenagers uh, making hamburgers. And the way they're able to do it is they have color-coded charts in all the McDonald's describing like, you know, you put the bun here, you put the patty here, you put this much ketchup on the burger and stuff. They've, they've systematized everything. So I just thought before we step out and go into business, the business itself has to have systems. And then the real estate strategy that we're going to use to help people better be laid out in a systematic way. So um, we just realized that was the important thing. And then we kind of, 
just started looking around in the real estate world and seeing what people were buying and seeing if we could put a system around it. We actually found a guy in Ohio in the U.S. who was helping real estate investors buy properties and we called him out of the blue. He didn't know us and we're like, you know, hey, you don't know us, but what are you doing? Like, how are you helping these investors? And he was kind enough to invite us down to his uh, his office in Ohio. And we spent some time with him. And he just kind of showed us how he was helping investors. And we took some of what we learned there. We paid him a bunch of money yeah. to learn more from him. Um, and we brought it up here. And we said, okay, you know what? How would this work in Canada? Can we have, like, a type of property that we're going to buy? And we identified single-family homes. And then uh, is there a price range we can identify? And we identified at that time it was like $200,000. Um, is there a strategy that we can use that is really easy for most people? And the easiest strategy to use was rent to own. So we thought, okay, this is pretty easy. You just buy a nice house and you offer it on a rent to own strategy to people. Um, and before, before you continue, some of our listeners may not understand what rent to own yeah. is. Can you explain that? First? Yeah, yeah, sure. So a rent to own property is a property where you lease out the pro you, you lease out the property. And you have a second agreement with the people who lease the property from you or who are renting from you. They have the ability to buy the property if they want to from you at the end of the lease. So it's typically a three-year lease. And at the end, you appreciate the property um, and they can buy it from you at the end of the lease. So that if you bought the property for like in today's world at like three hundred fifty or four hundred thousand dollars, you would appreciate the property five percent a year. And at the end of the three-year lease, if they wanted to buy the property, they could buy it. If they don't want to buy it, they can leave or they can stay on renting. You know, so there's different options. But that was the idea. It was to help people who couldn't buy a property at that moment uh, get into a property. The investor benefits by earning some cash flow and making some profit if they sell it. And the people who move in get a nice home where they can raise a family in. So it kind of would win on both sides. And that's kind of what a rent to owns about. And it was just a nice, simple strategy to work with investors because it wasn't like, Flipping, it wasn't like you have to buy a rundown property and hire contractors and manage inventory and flip this property. It was just buy a nice home that's already nice inside. Um, when you close on the home, put a sign in the front of the lawn that says rent to own this home. And when people come to the door, they can sign a lease and a second agreement, which is an option agreement to buy it if they want at the end. Um, and that's it. And putting those components together, identifying single family homes and having a little bit of a system around the strategy to use just made it easy for us to work with investors because when we met investors, it was like, Hey, this strategy works. We've done it ourselves. Do you want to try it? And most people said, yeah, let me try it, which also surprised us in business. We're like, man, people, we were pretty young at that point, And we had people like 10 and 20 years older than us trusting us, mm -hmm. you know, and that felt like it put a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. Like, man, we got a better, we better make this work. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff, man. That's interesting stuff. Um, and I feel like you guys are the only ones, I guess you guys, as far as I know, you're the only um, investment company that is actually leveraging rent-to-owns, like really pushing it. I think you guys were the first ones to really push rent-to-owns in Canada. I think so too, because when we were starting to do it, like there was nobody talking about it and it had a really bad name. It was kind of had this negative connotation where it was like, oh, rent-to-own, that's some kind of scam or something. But we were like, no, you can, you don't have to be unreasonable with it. You could just, uh, you know, charge a little bit more than rent because it's a unique strategy. So the investor has to make some cash flow. So for them to be, a, for it to be a win for them, you charge a little bit more than average rent. And then you appreciate the property at a historically kind of normal appreciation rate. And if the people who are renting want to buy it at the end, they can buy it. But if they don't want to, they don't have to. Um, 
And you're right. We told everybody about it. We said we were going to do it. Our accountant said we were crazy. Our lawyer said we were crazy. Everybody said we were crazy. But because it was just a nice, simple way to invest, like single family homes, right? Like it wasn't like a fourplex or an apartment building or a flip or a student rental. It was just this nice, easy way. Um, it worked. And it was a, another thing that surprised us. We're like, man, when everybody says no to something, sometimes the opportunity is in doing the opposite of what everyone says, you know, mm. because like literally a hundred percent of the advice was do not do that strategy. It'll never work. And when we did the first rent to own, we thought maybe we got lucky, right? And then we went on and just in, you know, around the Toronto area, we're over a thousand rental. Like I can't even count anymore how many rent to owns that investors have done with us, right? Wow. Yeah. In today's market, it has changed a little bit. Most investors do not want to do rent to owns because everyone believes real estate prices will just continue to go up forever. So most investors now that work with Rockstar are buying like student rental properties or regular rental or duplexes. I'm just going to hold it. So I don't want to do this rent to own anymore. So we still do rent to own, but it used to be like 95% of our business. Now it's kind of like totally flipped where it's only about 5% of our business, you know? So that's kind of morphed in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting stuff. You guys have properties or you've worked with investors with properties all across the GTA, but I find you guys um, specialize a bit more outside of like the core of downtown Toronto. Um, but a lot of people aren't aware of what's happening outside of downtown Toronto. Can you speak to that a bit more? Yeah, I, I guess we wanted to focus on downtown Toronto. We <laughs> like going downtown. We we're like, let's do stuff downtown. But every time we ran the numbers on properties in Toronto, it didn't work. Like you couldn't make them cash flow. You couldn't, they were just too expensive. Yeah. So then we, we didn't even know about some of these communities. Like we just literally one day, Nick, uh, Nick and I were like, have you ever heard of an area called Burlington? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of heard of Burlington, but I don't even know any, like, is there a downtown? You know, like we didn't know anything. And then, then he, he was like, have you heard of like, like does Hamilton have like subdivisions? Like we didn't even know we, we were clueless. So one day, um, we just said, Hey, Nick, you go to Burlington and just look around the properties. I'll drive into Hamilton and look around at the properties and let's see what we find. So one Saturday, he went to Burlington. One, I went to Hamilton and I remember going up onto this area called the Hamilton Mountain that I was not familiar with. And there was nice little house, not little, I shouldn't say that, but older like World War II bungalow type houses where I grew up in Mississauga where everything was like newer, kind of a little bit bigger. Um, and I remember looking at the prices of them and they look like nice communities with parks and there's like shopping malls and stuff. And I called Nick and I'm like, Nick, I think this is like a gold mine up here. Like they're beautiful properties and they're like half the price of Toronto. And uh, it looks like just a wonderful community. Um, I think we should probably test out some rental properties here. And uh, that's what started it. We bought a property. We had never bought a property in Hamilton. We bought a rental property in Hamilton to see if it was going to work. Um, and we tried a rent to own strategy on that property. And it worked like within a week, we had somebody signing up. We got higher than average rent that we thought we, we got more rent than we thought we were going to get. Wow. Like everything just worked. And then that opened the doors to like, Hey, what's this area called Kitchener? <laughs> you know, or what's like, is there any opportunity in Barrie or on the east side of the city? It was like, what's going on in like Ajax or Oshawa? So we just then kind of again, accidentally started focusing on areas all around Toronto because as real estate investors, we thought these are the better buys. They're a little bit less expensive and the rents are not. So even though the prices are like less than half of what the core of Toronto is, the rents aren't less than half. 
the rents are almost the same mm-hmm. as Toronto, mm-hmm. but the property prices are way less. So we thought, oh my gosh, why don't we just focus on all these areas around Toronto? Um, and that's how that came to be. Like we were literally clueless. Mm-hmm. The more I talk to you, the more I'm realizing we just really just didn't even know what we were doing. But, uh, yeah, we just, uh, we're just looking for deals kind of thing. And that's what we, then it was like a gold mine. Then we're like, oh my God. And it just continued because then we discovered areas like Brantford, Ontario that we knew nothing about, which is like an amazing community where people have good jobs and incomes relative to the home prices. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Brantford. We've done a ton of stuff in Brantford, Ontario. Um, and then we explored some more student rental communities. So for example, we were doing student rentals, um, at York university for a little while, but then the property prices got so expensive at York in, um, Toronto that we couldn't do them anymore. Like they were just, you know, we were buying student rentals up there when they were like $350,000 and then, you know, uh, they hit over $700,000 and it's tough to make them cash flow and carry. So then we checked out like Western in London, Ontario. And we realized, oh my gosh, out in London, Western University has like 35 or 36,000 students. The property prices are not like York University. They're like, you know, at that time when we first discovered Western, they would have been less than half. And the rents are about the same. Like they're not that much different than we're charging students at York. Mm -hmm. So then it was just one of those light bulb moments where you're like, okay, we totally should be out here. You know, yeah. especially with these universities, like at Western has, like I mentioned, over 30,000 students. That's like a city within a city. Mm-hmm. So even though it's in London, Ontario, and London, Ontario might not be the most dynamic, like it's not going to match Toronto for like, you know, how dynamic it is, but it's got this thing in there that's like a gem for real estate investors. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like trial and error, exploring, figuring things out is kind of how we've done it. That's how we've also recently stumbled our way, not recently, I guess a few years now, into St. Catharines. Because we were like, ah, St. Catharines. Who's going to buy any? Like, I was trained, I grew up in Mississauga. Like, you're trained to think like Hamilton, St. Catharines. Like, St. Catharines. You're never going to go to St. Catharines. Mm -hmm. Why would you ever go to there? And St. Catharines has been amazing for us in the last few years. You know, um, Metrolinx has said the GO train will eventually get there. I think they've delayed it a little bit. They initially said 2021. They'll have a regular rush hour GO train. I think that got delayed now, but they're going to put go train access out there. So we're already, we've already been doing stuff in St. Catharines for years because we're like, Hey man, this is another winning community. Mm-hmm. So yeah, outside of Toronto seems like it's just full of gems. What do you, um, when you guys are assessing properties, um, what do you look at to determine the value of a property? Yeah. So the biggest things, I guess, to us, um, it will depend on which investor we're working with. If it's a beginner investor, the value of the property is largely dictated by, is it in a good population center? So it's not even almost the property itself. It's more where the property is. So it's like, is the population center growing? Um, are there jobs in the area? Like, are, do, are people making money? And are there new transportation developments happening? So if we can kind of get those things in the community, that's why we like some of these communities around Toronto because they have good incomes. Um, the, so the property prices are not as high as Toronto, but people are still making money. Um, the population of these areas are all growing. Um, there's new transportation developments like highway developments or go train developments. Um, so we get this like mix of stuff where it's like, yes, this property is a good value, not just because of the house itself, but because of where it is. And the mm-hmm. rising tide of that community is likely going to ri- increase the value of the property. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if we can buy a property in a good community, even if we screw up and mess up and F up with the home, if the community itself is on the rise, 
it's going to carry us. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like, that's why we've never bought in some super small uh, uh, communities in in, uh, in Ontario. It's like we're comfortable with Barrie and Oshawa and stuff, but we haven't gone like way up north or way out of Toronto mm-hmm. because some of those communities just, they don't have the population growth. They don't have the income levels so that if we mess up with the property, we might lose money when we sell it or something. So, so yeah, the value of the property is largely dictated by the community it's in and how, how thrive, like how, you know, is, is that community really growing? Okay. That's, that's powerful stuff. So what's next for Rockstar Real Estate? Yeah, good question. I think we need to hire help. We need to grow our team. <laughs> we reached this point now where Nick and I are pretty much breaking. So we need to hire some probably operational staff in here. And then I think we can help uh, more investors. The whole goal of Rockstar is to, you know, look, we couldn't find anyone who was helping investors when we were starting out. So, and we understood the power of a team, like we've been discussing. So we thought, why don't we just try to create a business where the whole goal of the business is to have that team environment where we're all supporting and helping each other, right? And we've been able to do that up until this point. And I think we just want to continue it. And we'd like to introduce some entrepreneurial classes into Rockstar. So in the last 12 months, some of our members have done well with real estate and they've gone off to start Amazon businesses and e-commerce businesses. Yeah. And they've actually said, can we come back into Rockstar? And for Rockstar members, can we teach Amazon.com and e-commerce business building classes? And to me, that's like, I just feel so grateful for that because now our own community is offering new knowledge to the community, right? So I think the next phase for Rockstar is we'd really like to push and continue the real estate angle of it. Absolutely. But if we can build in some entrepreneurial type business building stuff. And we have some plans for 2019 where we're going to do a little more. We haven't finalized them just yet um, where we're going to do a little more of that here at Rockstar. That to me is like, maybe it's a personal goal, uh, but that's going to be a nice big uh, new area for Rockstar to grow into. Just because I don't believe, you know, someone like you doing your own thing, I think we could all support each other and help Absolutely. each other's businesses grow. And if we can all teach each other and share, like if Rockstar can share with you, if we've discovered what's working good for us from an advertising point of view, and, and I can share it with you for your business, I feel blessed. Yeah. Right. I feel like we're going to all grow together. You know, I don't Absolutely. feel like it's a competitive situation, mm-hmm. even if we were in the same business. There's enough room. There's, there's enough, enough room for, for all. It. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough room. Like, because the way I speak about real estate will be very different than the way Kobe speaks about real estate. Right. So yeah. some people are going to like to work with me and some people are going to think, Tom, this guy, Tom's, a, you know, not he's useless. But the way Kobe speaks about real estate is the way to go. And they'll want to work with you and not with us. And that's fine with us. That's actually great that they found someone. So we believe that. We can all help each other and there's just more than enough opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like I've never believed that there's like a lack of any sort of anything. There's enough for all of us. Okay. You know? And two more questions I just thought of before we move on to the purpose round. Can you explain um, to our listeners what Rockstar Real Estate does specifically sure. like for, for outside investors or outside members? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So really we're a real estate brokerage, but we kind of hide that a little bit. Really and, well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We lead with this membership that we run. It's called the Rockstar Inner Circle. And um, people join this membership and it's $49 a month to join the membership. And as part of that membership, we offer different real estate training classes. So we offer classes on like student rental investing or apartment building investing, or if you're going to do joint ventures 
with people, how to structure joint venture contracts and agreements and that kind of thing. We have 12 different classes and then we publish a monthly newsletter and we have a member only audio. Three times a year we do bigger events for all members where we bring in like people from CMHC or our lawyers, our accountants to talk about like tax strategies for real estate investors. So this membership has become our training arm of the brokerage. So we lead with that. Um, and that's what Rockstar does. We lead with this membership. You come in, you gain knowledge. And if you want to buy a property with us, great. You know, we're a bro, we happen to be a brokerage. We'll go buy a property and we'll never leave your side. So if you want to go buy a student rental property, we'll help you buy it. And if you have any problems with it, we'll be there. We'll teach you how to find students. And if there's a problem with it, call us. We'll guide you through just because of our experience and knowing how valuable it is to have someone to call when you run into a problem. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we're a real estate brokerage, but on the front end, we're a membership that is just a, basically a training arm of the brokerage. That's is that, is that clear enough? Very clear. Very clear. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into real estate investing, but they're afraid to take that leap? They're not sure which direction to head. I'm, what advice would you give to that individual? Yeah, I think you learn more by making mistakes than waiting on the sidelines. So you're just holding yourself back. Like you actually have to go make some mistakes. So get them over with, like just go and screw up. Like you have to go screw up. If you don't screw up, you're not doing anything, Mm. you know, like, um, you, we talked briefly before this is that you're, you're, you do some powerlifting stuff. You're not going to lift the most you've ever lifted on the first lift. No. <laughs> right. You kind of have to go. And I was describing to you, I was at the gym and I failed on, on a lift that I was trying to do today. You have to go screw up. Like in life, you have to go screw up. That's how you get, actually get ahead. So if you're on the sidelines thinking about this stuff, you just have to begin. The key part is to have the right people around you. So never feel you're going to have all the information. But if you have the right people around you and that team that you're talking about who are going to support you, then you're covered. So, you know, even if you don't have those people, try to find Kobe or try to find someone who's going to know those people, right? Like that's the most important part. But just go out and screw up and make some mistakes. It's actually really valuable. You know, making the mistakes is where, is where your own growth comes from. Like you, you have to, you can't be scared of making the mistake. You have to make the mistakes to get past that point. You know, if you never leap in and make a mistake, you're always going to be scared. But like, look at us, like we bought properties with asbestos best deciding. We don't have a clue about asbestos, but now it doesn't even scare us because we're over that level of problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And every problem that you overcome, those problems get smaller and smaller to you. So now people come to us and they're like, Tom, I got a huge problem. I'm like, I don't know. Try me. And they tell me the problem. I'm like, oh my God, that's like, that's, we faced that like 15 years ago. That's nothing, man. Just call this person. You're good to go. Yeah. You know, so you just got to go mess up. And I know that's kind of hard advice to maybe hear, but, uh, we believe it, man. We believe it or like through our soul. You got to just go screw up a little bit. It's not the end of the world. As a business owner, the more you can leverage your time, the better it is for your company. There is this amazing online resource called Fiverr, where you can hire someone for just $5 to do just about any task for you. Whether it be logo design, market research, videography, or website building, Fiverr has it all. Please go to iamkobe.com forward slash resources and click on the Fiverr icon to make an account. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Welcome to the Purpose Round, where we ask our entrepreneurs the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind their business and their entrepreneurial journey. So, Tom, what is your purpose as an entrepreneur? 
Yeah, that's a pretty big question. I guess we have this idea, a rock star. Um, it's a little slogan that we live by. It's, it, it, and it goes like this. It said, it's your life, your terms. And so our purpose is to help people live life on their own terms. You know, I felt when I was in the corporate world, I was so boxed in when I, that like I felt like a prisoner, you know, and I never want that feeling for anyone else. So our purpose is through real estate. Can we help people create income streams where they can go and live life on their own terms? And that's what we're all about. Okay. What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? Okay. The, the, yeah. Well, you got a good question. Man. <laughs> uh, the, the, the best everyday habit that adds value is uh, being grateful for what I have and not taking it for granted, right? Family, friends, being grateful. And the second uh, thing is just planning my day. Because if I don't plan my day uh, first thing in the morning, I waste the day. And at the end of the day, I get so frustrated if I've wasted the day. Um, so being grateful and planning my day first thing. So like not checking my phone. Like I always want to check like how did the Leafs do? How did the Raptors do? You know, like read the latest thing. I got to like consciously push that aside and plan out my day before I do anything else. If you could have a per conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? Yeah. Holy smokes. I think, yeah, that's a pretty big, deep question. I, I would like to speak to my, uh, I didn't get a chance to know my grandfather, uh, too well. And I'd like to know more about our family's heritage, like, uh, why they moved to the part, like well, what they were doing in the places of the world they were living in. Like, because both my parents are immigrants, I would like to know more about our, my family's history. So I think a few years ago, I might've answered you with like Richard Branson or something and that kind of stuff. But Nick and I have been fortunate over the last few years to meet with a lot of different business owners and stuff. And I don't think I want to talk to any of them anymore. <laughs> not that Richard Branson's not a great guy. I would love to go and have a coffee with him or something. I just mean for, for me, it's, I, I would like to know more about my own family. Like where did they come from and why did they end up there? And you know, how did they, how did, what did their grandfather look like? And what did he do? For some reason, I'm just interested in that. What is your main strategy for organizing your day? Yeah. So I read this book once called the seven habits, um, Stephen Covey's book, seven habits of highly successful people, something like that. I can't remember. Highly the effective book, people. Highly effective early, people. Yeah. yeah. That book outlined, um, uh, every morning you get up and you write out four quadrants and you know, you, in those quadrants, you divide up your activities and in, in levels of importance. That changed my life. I did that for about three years straight, religiously. Every night before I went to bed or every morning, that changed my life. I did that right as I was exiting the corporate world and starting Rockstar Real Estate. That allowed us to get more done or for me to get more done in three years than I would have in like six years. So that, that, that book changed my life for sure. All right. What was your worst entrepreneurial moment and what did you learn from it? Um, yeah, I think at one point... Um, we had a situation, like a legal situation, where somebody was saying that maybe we had not done something properly in real estate. And I think at that moment, I thought, like, are we screwed? It was one of the, another one of those moments where, like, is there, is life over? <laughs> like, have we really screwed up? Like, unintentionally, because we always try to act with integrity, right? Um, but did we really mess up here and screw something up big time? And are we wrong? Um and, uh, after talking through the lawyers and th some mortgage brokers, I realized that there was just a misunderstanding in the situation. And, um, it made me learn that communication between people is like the most important thing. Like if you can keep a dialogue open with people, even if you're in some disagreement with them, it is the most important thing. And from that, I learned like empathy that even though I might think 
um, I'm right. I have to put myself in your shoes to see your perspective. And when I see your perspective, I can maybe understand where you're coming from and it's going to help us come to some conclusion that isn't like negative. Right. So, um, learning empathy from that, uh, was a, was a big deal. Okay. If you had to build a business from the ground up with only a hundred dollars, how would you leverage that? Yeah. Wow. I guess, uh, the biggest thing I would do with the, the hundred, I wouldn't even spend the hundred bucks. I would try to find people that were teaching me how to get customers. Like I would look for YouTube videos or blog posts online that would teach me how to get customers in the field I was going into. And the most important skill I've learned in business is how to get customers. So not theory, like not just like have a passion, you know, yeah, I watch some YouTube videos. I'm sure you do too. Like yeah. it gets you all motivated and there's a place for that. But I want to know the systems that are going to get somebody who's doesn't know about my business to actually become a customer of mine. And there's a lot of good information online. And if I couldn't find it online, I would take the hundred bucks and would probably buy some of Dane Kennedy's books. He's an old grumpy guy in the States that teaches some of the most advanced marketing strategies that we've used here at Rockstar to build this business. Um, he's probably got like 30 books, but he has like a, a no BS time management book. He has a, um, a book, I think it's called wealth management for entrepreneurs or something. And uh, he has a direct response marketing book and he teaches like results driven marketing, I would probably take that hundred dollars and study that because once you understand how to get a customer in a systematic way, the world's your oyster, man. You can, there's, there's no, there's no more problems. Which app or online tool do you use every day to help contribute to your success? App or online tool. Um, the best thing right now is I use, uh, in, uh, in the, in my iPhone, I use the notes app to record um, any thought that I have going through my head that I think could be a blog post or a new YouTube video or a new article that we're going to write about. And, uh, I use that religiously every day. Like if the idea comes in my head, I'll launch that app and write it down because I know if I don't write it down on the spot, I lose that piece of inspiration and it's like gone forever. So that Apple notes app, then it syncs to my Mac and everything that's like saved my life. So yeah, I use that every day. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Yeah. Wow. I think that's a big one. Uh, I think the best advice I've ever received is to live by principles. So here at Rockstar, we have like three rules, right? Always do the right thing. Treat others as you treat yourself and give a hundred percent. And if you live by those principles, life's easy. You can sleep well at night. You're never going to have a problem. So we tell everyone here, man, always do the right thing. And yeah, it's probably the best advice I've ever received. List your top three most influential books. Um, thinking grow rich by Napoleon Hill for me had a big impact. It was written in really old English. It was a little bit difficult to read, but it had a big impact on me for whatever reason. Uh, Dale Carnegie's uh, book that I mentioned earlier, how to win friends and influence people had a massive impact on me. Um, and then the third book, um, yeah, I'm not sure. So many other books. I'm not sure. I'd probably say one of Dane Kennedy's marketing books that I mentioned earlier, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what's the third biggest book, mm -hmm. but Think and Grow Rich and, and How to Win Friends and Influence People, man, changed my life. Okay. Tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. Um, okay. Uh, business, the value in business 
is not the product or service you offer. The value in business is the relationships that you have with your customers. So I think most people think the value that they bring to the marketplace is they're like they're really good at what they do or their, their product is really good. That's not the value. The value is once you earn a customer, what's your relationship like with that customer? Will they buy from you again? Will they refer you to other people? That is the ultimate, most valuable piece of uh, asset, the, the relationship that you have with your customers. All right. Is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Um, yeah, just, uh, the world's your oyster, man. Anything is possible. We all, you know, if you're listening to something like this, you're probably in Canada and you're, you, you won the lottery by living here. Um, you can do anything you want to do. And there's people like Kobe around. There's, there's so many people willing to help never feel that you can't accomplish a goal. There's tons of people everywhere. Um, you, uh, yeah, the, you, you, you can really accomplish anything you want. It just, uh, you just have to have the fire. And I, I, I would I would say one thing that if you're frustrated in your life right now, use that fire. Like I've made the best progress in my life when I've been frustrated and pissed off at where I am in life. The best moments in my life have never come from feeling passionate about something. Like I've never felt positively passionate about real estate. Like real estate came from like, I'm getting screwed in this job. <laughs> I need to get some real estate or, you know, I need to create some wealth in a different way. Um, or uh, like starting the businesses, like I don't want to work for the next 20 years in this like nine to five thing. I got to get out of this and start my own job. So all our best moves, both Nick and I would say the same thing, have come from places of frustration. So if you're frustrated right now in life, that's great. Use that to fuel the fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how can the Purposeful Story family reach out to you and follow you on your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I guess the best place it would be rockstarinnercircle.com. That's where we like have all our videos and blog posts, our contact information's on there. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to reach out to us. Rockstarinnercircle.com, I guess would be the best, the best place. All right. Appreciate you coming on the show today, Tom. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Really, really appreciate this. No worries at all. And thank you, Purposeful Story family for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose. So all your actions are clear. Talk soon. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life, and this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in, because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast. Please feel free to email me at info at iamkobe.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, All I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music, or CastBox, give a rating, and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I Am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes and go to IamKobe.com forward slash Purposeful Story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Writes for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.